when you learn about the complexities of supply chain management or any aspect of the business world from a computer screen. Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Managing Editor of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. So there's nothing new about education that incorporates a variety of learning methods. And most of us by now are used to getting a lot, if not most, of our information from computers, tablets, and smartphones. But is so-called digital learning as effective as the in-person, in-class experience? Can the instructor really relate to students and engage in valuable discussion when they're physically not in the same space? Today we get a look at the new age of virtual supply chain education from two guests, Alan Todd, founder of the digital learning platform CorpU, and Steve Tracy, executive director of the Supply Chain Research Center at Penn State. We'll talk about how new educational techniques are being employed in the classroom at multiple levels for current supply chain executives as well as college students looking to enter the field. And we'll explore whether age and generation make a difference in whether a student will flourish in an environment of blended learning. So here is my conversation with Alan Todd and Steve Tracy. Alan Todd. Welcome to the program. Thanks, Bob. And Steve Tracy, welcome. Hi, Bob. Thanks for having, having me. Alan, let me start with you. Tell me, what is Corp U? Our company exists to help connect people together in virtual learning communities to work on business problems, solve complex problems, generate and spread ideas from each other, teach and learn, and capture that knowledge so it can be shared. So think of us as a virtual learning platform and a method that companies use to create results and drive business results across their company. Okay, emphasis on virtual. In other words, is this an online or a digital venture? That's right. Emphasis on the word virtual. So when we think about what we do, we we tend to work with large enterprises where they have a workforce where they're based in lots of geographies and so in complex organizational structures. And so when you think about that as a requirement, that creates a lot of difficulties, very difficult to get people together. So let's assume, I'll just give you a, a simple example of what we might do at CorpU, is let's suppose that we wanted to get people together across the operation to look at better ways to improve supply chain optimization. Let's say that would be an example. So we might connect people together in purpose-built groups and teach them some component of supply chain thinking and allow them to have a conversation in those groups. So it's online, it's online teaching and learning, and it's an online conversation about what we might we do differently at our company, how might we bring these ideas to practice at Coca-Cola or Walmart or Merck or Johnson & Johnson. Those would be examples of our typical customers. So it's not a fixed curriculum? In other words, the curriculum depends on what it is that your students or whatever you want to call them are looking for, or is it something that you've got prepared and that they come and, and avail themselves of? We do have a 
a fixed set of programs in supply chain in this particular example with our partner at Penn State, but we also work on things with companies where it's important where they're trying to use conversation or structured conversation to come up with new ideas to carry the business forward. So a lot of times, if you think of it this way, we'd use an online course or an online program to start with the teaching and learning methods, but we use that to host the conversation to get them to talk about the real problems and challenges that they face in their business and real solutions and real ways to move forward and apply. So you might think of it as sort of two parts. So there's a teaching and learning part that's preordained. That's brought to you by faculty, let's say, in supply chain uh, with faculty from Penn State University. And then there's the part that is generative or that emerges as a result of running the course in that space. And that tends to become really proprietary wisdom that the company wants to capture and share best practices, and they want to beam it across their enterprise. How many people are involved in any, in any one course, set of courses? I mean, you say it's like a particular company comes to you. How many people can be involved at once? So we have a pretty particular methodology about how we do that. So companies can range from 50 people to 50,000 people, but we tend to manage them in groups together, in groups of about 50. So if you said you wanted to put 1,000 people through something, we'd create 20 groups of 50, and we'd run the 20 groups together in cohorts, we call them, and then we build a a large virtual learning network where all 1,000 people are connected together. So we think that there's an optimal student-teacher ratio to get the maximum value out of the social learning, meaning the peer collaboration and problem-solving and setting and creating ideas. And then there's a sort of this meta level where you come up a notch and there's a 1,000 people where the best ideas then are brought up to that level. When multiple people are involved, when you're at the discussion in the interaction stage of this, how is it happening? Is it happening online like you and I are talking now? Is it visual? Is it sound? Or is it email? Or is it texting? How are people actually conversing with one another? Yeah, so that's a good question. The CorpU platform drives that conversation, so it's all done online. You can do it on your mobile phone. You do it on a tablet. You do it on a laptop. But the platform and method of CorpU drives the conversation. The conversation could be part of a discussion where you're using a discussion thread that's built into the platform. It could be that it's a live conversation. You could be capturing a video that you make on your laptop or your iPhone that you're sharing with the group. If, we're, if you're asked to share an idea or a best practice, you can type it in, you can talk it in to a phone. So there are many ways to get any kind of the ideas and thinking and problem-solving techniques brought from the individual. All they need is a smartphone, a tablet, or a laptop, and then they can use anything they type or the, anything they speak or anything that they can uh, do on camera. And how long does the, the course or the sessions last, typically? So depending on the course, and we, we have many different programs but like in supply chain, we have six modules that are three weeks long each with Penn State. Just to give you a, a representative sample, we teach courses as well on strategy and innovation and change with other academic partners that we work with. But in the case of supply chain, as an example, we have a set of programs that are six modules. They're each three weeks long, and they're each three hours a week. And of the three hours a week, you do two hours at your own time, anytime you want, and then there's one hour live where you jump on a live call like the one we're on now where the instructor is facilitating a conversation with the group mm -hmm. um, on practices and reflections and ideas that emerged during the week. What do you come away with having completed this course? Is there a piece of paper or a certification or anything like that that basically certifies that you've under, undergone it? 
We do have a certificate um, in the case of the Penn State program. Yeah, there, we, we, you get a certificate from Penn State. Steve Tracy, are you one of the instructors that are involved in this effort? I am, Bob. You do that, and you also do traditional classroom teaching as well, right? I do. My current year course load, I teach uh, an undergraduate course as part of our core curriculum in demand fulfillment. I teach the elective in the MBA program called Strategic Procurement, and I teach a component of our Master's in Supply Chain Management program also in Strategic Procurement. So what's the difference to you between being in a classroom live with human beings in the same physical space and doing this in this so-called virtual environment in terms of relating to students, in terms of relating information, in terms of getting feedback, just the whole educational experience? How do those two experiences differ? Well, you're talking about a different set of individuals. So in the case of comparing and contrasting, without talking about the environment, uh, just that quickly. So in the undergraduate course, of course, we have undergrads. These are these are supply chain majors. So in the, in the course that I teach, it's part of your major. So it's what you're planning on getting your degree in. So these will be juniors and seniors in supply chain management. That's a, one particular group and skill set. In the MBA program, these are going to be second year MBAs who are now starting to specialize in what we call their core concentrations. Uh, typically, most of these students are going to be concentrating in supply chain, but not necessarily. I've got finance students and marketing students and, and other students in, in different concentrations. And in the master's program, these are people, industry professionals, who are getting their master's degree in supply chain management. So totally different groups of students. And the reason I mention that is when you get into the courses that we're talking about doing virtually with with CorpU, these are more similar to our open enrollment and custom courses that we deliver to corporations all over the world and here in presence at Penn State. And so that is more similar. So if I can compare those two, uh, you know, in the classroom, in terms, of, in terms of content and delivery, they're fairly similar with the exception that, uh, well, in open enrollment, we've got multiple companies, maybe one to five individuals from a company in a classroom for two to three days. And we're going to deliver the same or similar content. Uh, the collaboration in that particular setting is through breakout groups or group activities in the classroom. If we're doing a custom program for a company, names you would recognize, you know, ExxonMobil, Office Depot, Parker Hannafin, these courses are specifically designed with those corporation supply chains in mind. And the people there are going to be multiply, multiple disciplinary. So you might have people from sales and marketing or something on the commercial side. You may have engineers. You might have people in some supply chain function. But those courses are custom designed to deliver whatever that corporation wants to deliver in that particular course set or course suite. And we have everything from big multinationals to government entities and, and anything in between. When you talk about the virtual programs that we do with the Supply Chain Academy, so these would be very similar to that second set. So these would be very similar to the custom courses that we deliver in presence for big corporations. The difference would be is you've got um, probably a diversity in terms of student location. So a lot of the courses I've been involved in, you've got uh, students from all over the world participating at the same time. There is active involvement in the collaboration, uh, the virtual collaboration, uh, all during the week. And then when we get live, it really is a very focused discussion about what problem sets or challenges or ideas were brought up during that earlier week in the asynchronous portion. So the delivery is different. The collaboration is different. I think the results are fairly similar to what we see. 
in our custom courses, the results are pretty much comparable, but just the, the way it happens is, is definitely definitely not the same. Alan, I would imagine that the give and take in a virtual discussion environment is something quite different than if Steve was in a classroom, with again, with live people. I mean, how many people can physically or practically chime in when everyone's on computers or, you know, things like that? Do you find it possible to involve a lot of people in a truly interactive discussion in a virtual environment? Good question. And the way we think about it, that's why we take large populations and break them into groups no bigger than 50. So when we build cohort groups to do virtual learning, we think the optimal size is 20 to 50 people. So under 20 tends to be a little too small to have an ideal conversation. So 20 is a great number, up to 50. And that's right around the sweet spot that we have found to get the optimal participation. And one of the things that we found that's been really interesting in our research over the last four years is that different from face-to-face teaching and learning where people are sharing and contributing, it turns out that people that identify as introverts do a much better job of leveling the playing field in an online conversation. So introverts and extroverts are on the same footing in our courses, and so you tend to actually see fantastic participation. So that's, that's one thing. The second big thing is that not only do you have fantastic participation, but every written word is data. It's big data, and it's big data about what they're saying, and we can do- derive meaning from that and see if there are patterns of ideas that are shaping up that might be transformational for a company. So we can actually mine that data of that conversation and see if the sentiment is positive or negative, to see, see if people are connecting across boundaries, if the ideas are connecting and resonating. So there's just so much more power to the data. So yeah, we're doing, we're seeing fascinating ways to keep people highly engaged and then doing really amazing things with learning analytics where you're analyzing large data sets of conversation patterns to find new to world ideas for a company. And that's what happens inside the course. And I would guess that existing executives in companies don't have a whole lot of time to to do something like this. So they would probably prefer a virtual environment because they don't have to actually make time to go to a classroom and take take that kind of time out of their day or night, right? Well, yeah. That, so, so there's a strong trend towards virtualization of any kind of teaching and learning and corporate learning. And we're seeing that trend continue to accelerate. So if you have a geographically dispersed workplace, if you have time-starved uh, executives or busy work working people, you've got to find ways to break the teaching and learning into smaller chunks. We know from all kinds of learning science principles that if we could break it into smaller chunks and feed it to you, you're going to remember a lot more and be able to move it from short-term to long-term memory. So we've got the learning science on our side in terms of creating a better environment, improving learning outcomes, improving retention. If we give you smaller chunks, we do it in a social conversation way we can allow that stuff to stick. Those things are impossible to do if you have a geographically dispersed workforce and you have to get them together and try and squeeze it all into a day or two. So in an optimal design, you know, you'd be able to get people together and use a hybrid approach that takes the best of what you can accomplish through the affordances of face-to-face and the best of what you can accomplish virtually. But in, in the real world, we're finding more and more that in large global companies where fast-moving changes to becoming the norm and people are time-starved, the virtual way is is fast, so it brings immediacy to the problem. It brings uh, economics, right? It's just much less expensive to do it that way, and, and it brings a lot of scale. So companies that are trying to do big, big things. But we're also seeing universities themselves and individual professors uh, moving ahead with virtualization in undergrad and graduate education. I wonder, Stephen, what do you think about that trend? Do you think that there's room 
for taking this type of experience and moving it into a traditional university education? I do. I view it in a, in a blended way, Bob. Alan knows this because we've had this conversation. So I mentioned that I teach an undergrad and a, and a graduate course. My courses are both designed with a blended learning set. I use a flipped classroom approach for, for every module. So there are videos. They may be me. They may be industry executives. They may be TED Talks. They might be YouTube videos that my students watch the night before class. And those are discussion topics in class. So they've watched the video. They probably made some notes, had some ideas. Combination of, of watch, read, discuss, and lecture. So I use all the approaches. The same thing, exact thing that we do in our virtual learning environment in the Supply Chain Academy. I've adopted that model in my own classroom. I've seen it with both my, my kids, uh, my daughter and son, in high school and college as well. Um, I think it's a very effective way of delivering things, and I think it's just a good model. It just works. But you do end up in the classroom at some point. You know, you say you watch something the night before, and then you get together the next day and you talk about it in person. I have a, a captive audience here, but where these students are um, – now, that's not entirely true. Or, or in the master's program, those are entirely entirely virtual. I, I, I deliver a little bit of that in person. But I, ha I have those students in classroom, and what I'm using the classroom time for is the collaboration, so the discussion and collaboration. So the only, I guess, real difference, if you think about it, is so – they're doing the read, watch, case, whatever they're doing outside the classroom, and they may be doing that in teams, same as we're doing on the virtual environment, Supply Chain Academy. And when I get them in the classroom, if I've got them for an hour and 15 minutes or two hours, we're spending half that time just having a discussion. And I typically use my TAs at that point to memorialize the discussion and put it into a slide deck that, that we then post out there. So I don't have the actual, what we have in the, in the Supply Chain Academy is we've memorialized all of those discussions in a transcript. I don't have that, but I've got, I call the bullet points uh, available to the students after class is over. So it's very similar. Yeah, Very similar. Is, is there a generational aspect, though? I mean, take a person like me who came up in education without any virtual environment whatsoever, and yet even today I utilize, I, I, I get a lot of information online and in virtual environments, but my basic education was not that at all. And so I would be tending to look upon that with a little bit of doubt. Younger people, do you think they're more open to the idea of learning in this way? I think for sure they are. I think in terms of the video aspect, so the watch. When I was in college, when I was in college, well, the internet wasn't the internet. It didn't exist when I was in college, you know. Um, and still to this day, when you talk about learning methodology, I had this conversation with a friend the other day. I'd prefer to pick up a book and read it, or pick up a periodical and read it, than read it on a Kindle or online. That's just personal preference. I like sitting on the airplane or in the living room reading a physical book I can hold in my hand. However. I'm not naive. I understand that people who are considerably younger than me absorb material in a different way. So I know when I, when I give them a three to five to 10 minute video and they watch it, they watch it. And I, I see it in the classroom. You know, if, when we have a discussion about the video or a discussion about the reading, I get more lively discussion about the video than I do about the reading. Well, that, that's not that much different from what I grew up with. You know, we would watch films in class and we would watch, you know, sure. things like that. And then we would discuss them. I'm talking more about this idea of actually where the professor himself or herself is actually lecturing online or the basic information being conveyed is being conveyed in a virtual environment. I think your primary question was, 
are they are they more open? Are the is the younger generation more open to it than say people of previous generation? I think the answer is unequivocal yes. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that all people aren't predisposed to being able to watch a video and learn from it. I think it works perfectly yeah. fine. Now, Alan, your people, your students are by definition they're going to be a little bit older because they're already out in the business world. What do you feel about age versus the willingness or uh, unwillingness to participate in this type of educational environment? We've been pretty surprised, and so we've a lot of research on this topic. And so the the intuition is that millennials will take to this like ducks to water, and that is true. So if you say learn on on a tablet or a smartphone or or virtually on a laptop, that's kind of easy, and they do that, and the acceptance rates are high um, in terms of accepting this in the workplace. But what's been counterintuitive and surprising to me and working unbelievably well is that senior executives in businesses, baby boomers who have been in their careers for 20 years, are doing online learning right now. They're doing it with great success, and it's happening more, not less. And I would predict that the trend will it will only accelerate from here with baby boomers. And I think it's just the it's the practical needs. We have customers now that are saying we cannot imagine trying to get people together the old way. We have a customer, just a simple example of a retailer. They have they have 5,000 people in 2,000 stores. To get them together to train them on something in the old way, they just could never go back again. The old way would take nine months and $900,000 to get them all together and get something completed by doing these round robins that sweep across the nation. Virtually, they do it virtually instantaneously for almost nothing. So it happens really fast, and it's really quick, and through data, they can prove who got it and who didn't and remediate everyone and get everybody to, to know what a top performer knows, and they can do it better, faster, and cheaper. And that's the result of the kind of case studies we see. So we see that baby boomers who we predicted would never use this environment are using it at an accelerating pace. That makes sense in the business world. Do you envision, Alan, a future whereby virtualization becomes an important tool or in some cases the only tool for education within universities, uh, with uh, undergrads and even MBAs, people who aren't yet out in the business world? I'd never go so far as to say it's the only tool. I think it's absolutely critical, and I think the scientific evidence is in. If you look at the science of how people and organizations learn, a blended approach that mixes together learning that you can do online virtually anytime, anywhere, any place, mixed with online virtual live conversation talking, mixed with some affordance of getting together face-to-face is an optimal design. So my point is, if that's perfect and describe that as perfect, you'd go for perfect when you have the affordance, the luxury of time, the luxury of getting people together face-to-face. People do that in the corporate world when they get them together for an annual sales meeting or an annual service meeting or an annual planning meeting, and it's important to blend learning before and after that. In the academic world in higher education, I think you see online learning and education continue to grow. It's had its bumps and bruises along the way with quality and some bad actors in that industry have, have harmed its reputation, but I would predict that will come back and you'll see stronger growth in online education from traditional players like Penn State University and other major research universities across the nation. And you'll see nothing but what Steve just described is happening on the campus at Penn State. All higher education will become blended learning. There will be no such thing as on the ground 
face-to-face teaching and learning without a virtual component to it in the future. That that day was in our very near future. It certainly does seem to be the wave of the future. Listen, I want to thank both of you gentlemen for taking the time with me to explain this concept of Corp U and the contrasting uh, in-person and and the virtual worlds and how they can kind of function hand-in-hand. So, Alan Todd, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Bob. And Steve Tracy, thanks very much for being with us. Thanks, Bob. Thanks for having me. That was my conversation with Alan Todd of CorpU and Steve Tracy of Penn State talking about the use of virtual environments to teach supply chain management. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. See you next time.